0: It all felt like an unattainable dream. Fashion to me has always been that. I've dreamt about it since I was a small boy. I don't remember dreaming about other things. I didn't even know it was a job. I didn't know it was a profession. I just wanted to do, you know, clothes and I wanted to use them for making sculptures on human bodies. That was, and, you know, doing couture is kind of a, I would say like pinnacle of, of this profession. But for me, it feels really pretty much like the very beginning of it.
1: I am Susie Menkes, and you are listening to my podcast, Creative Conversations. As a journalist reporting on the global fashion industry, I want to take you backstage and give you an insight into my world. Listen to my exclusive conversations with creatives, industry leaders and those whose voices have some of the greatest impact. I think you might find it interesting and maybe intriguing. I'm bringing you a couture special. At Paris Fashion, I sat down with Demna Gavassalia, the creative director of Balenciaga, to discuss his first couture collection for the house. The revival of Balenciaga Haute Couture counts as the 50th Couture collection under that name, because Cristobal Balenciaga's last show was his 49th, back in the late 60s, when the Spanish-born Couturier had not developed ready-to-wear. As if the exceptional story of Cristobal Balenciaga himself were not enough, what about the development of Demner, the designer who started his life in war-torn Georgia, and is now a highly creative force in Paris fashion today. 53 years after the original Balenciaga Salon was closed, the company's Haute Couture has been revived for autumn-winter 2021. The show was presented in Avenue Georges V with a famous modern audience and with Francois-Henri Pinault of the Caring Luxury Group. Demner talks to me about his tough, unsettling early life the start of his career working in Antwerp with Martin Margiela, and then his introduction to high-level fashion at Louis Vuitton in Paris. He and his brother Guram took a bold course by launching Vetements in 2014, an aggressively anti-high fashion company, its basic clothes shown with classic cheap bags and DHL logos that stunned the fashion world, not least when Demner joined Balenciaga the following year. The designers' play on the classic included denim cut with exquisite elegance, massive sneakers presenting the clothes on a high level, and Philip Tracy's shapely mushroom hats. It all made Balenciaga unique among fashion revivals and gave a dramatic touch to the return of haute couture in a Parisian house where Christian Dior called his fellow designer Cristobal the master of us all. I feel that it was a fairy tale to a CEO <laughs> Couture, and that, you know, it's, it suddenly ended and...
0: <laughs> it was so nice that you could witness this. I'm really happy you could come.
1: Well, I wouldn't have missed it for anything. It was one of those moments, as we say. I know how hard it
0: was, and it's like, you know, but I needed the moment of real life, saying that like, Couture, I couldn't do digital, so until the last moment, it was not clear who could come, who could not, but... I thought I need to show it in real. Of course, it's really important. Yeah.
1: Of course, you were completely right, and it was a very moving moment.
0: Thank you, thank you,
1: Susie. You know, it's it's just quite a moment for all of us. I think the rebirth of Balenciaga haute couture. It is an extraordinary long time since the original Cristobal of Balenciaga. Um, did a couture show. And it was interesting that you deliberately presented a collection that was very shorn of a, a fancy side. The room was very plain, lit up only by the beautiful flowers on the seats, and the clothes looked like sculptures on the body. There was no music, only the sound of footsteps. And, of course, the sound of people gasping at um, seeing Kanye West all wrapped with his head wrapped up in a scarf. <laughs> but it all had a great frisson of excitement and the rest was about the clothes was that your whole idea that
0: was my hope (laughs) that was really my hope to put um clothes and uh, dressmaking in general into the spotlight with couture you know i i really wanted uh for people to look at clothes to look at you know clothes moving on those bodies when they walked and one of the reasons why I wanted to show it in in, in complete silence uh, which was quite daring for me because I never kind of I never could face the silence myself you know I found it very difficult to show fashion in, in you know without any sound accompanying it but it just felt like it needed nothing else and just the sound of fabrics and you know the sound of movement that was almost like magic of clothes like you know, something that I absolutely love. That's the reason why I do love fashion. And I realized through couture, that's why I do it, actually, you know, because it's all about clothes. And what if not couture at Balenciaga would be the perfect, you know, manifestation or perfect platform to to put attention back on that.
1: Of course, I couldn't agree more. But it, it still seems pretty much a great leap from your start with um, Vetements and um, its play on sneakers. And let me think of some other things. The um, DHL t-shirts selling, if I remember rightly, for 250 euros and rubber car mats turned into clothes. Looking back now, it's not very Balenciaga, is it? Was it supposed to be about irony in the face of fancy fashion or was it something witty? Uh,
0: I feel like I started my career as designer criticizing the industry in which I work myself, ironically, you know? so it was a lot about, you know, questioning things and um, uh, putting things out in the spotlight that, you know, somehow fashion didn't feel ready to face and uh, the it, an overpriced t-shirt and the whole VHL thing and, you know, ready-made um, Meaning artworks, I mean, all those things that kind of relate to what I did. Um, it was a very natural thing for me to do. I didn't really have a strategy of, okay, I'm going to start with that, and then, like, six years later, I'm going to explore the wonders of, of this métier, which is couture. Um, because I think, for me, fashion always represented... Um, it's a reflection of the time in which I live. It's really... I feel like a sponge, in a way. Like, I absorb things, and then... Um, Fashion is my tool of communication, really. I have a problem communicating my vision of things um, otherwise than fashion. And so I used it a lot as a platform through which I could, you know, really raise those questions, sometimes having no answers, sometimes it just felt right. I didn't want to provoke anything. I just wanted to to react to the way I felt in that very moment. So,
1: But do you think that there is a deep and angry rage inside you about your own life struggle and that you had to struggle with that before you could make what I would call a very sort of calm and beautiful and peaceful collection. Yes, you know, I
0: found peace through Couture. I said it last week, and I, I, I liked hearing it because I felt like that makes sense. I did find peace in it because it felt to me like um, I went through a lot of struggle in my personal life with different issues and um, especially I went through a lot of difficulties in you know entering the fashion industry and like surviving it somehow um, you know being seen as a hoodie guy who only can design sneakers where I see myself my creative world work and my vision much deeper than that like you know being put in certain boxes and also facing some kind of like I would say fashion xenophobia I don't know if I can explain that but you know it's hard to get through in this industry and I had a lot of anger about it. You know, the DHL thing, it wasn't just out of blue. It was because we couldn't even, I mean, I couldn't afford to pay those DHL bills that were coming in at the beginning of, you know, when I started the brand and we would order fabrics and send prototypes. It was a big issue for me. And, um, and it found way, you know, into a product through through my kind of absorbing it and, you know, in a way spitting it out into into the fashion uh, dimension so there was a lot of pain in me i think and a lot of struggle that i faced um, also in within the fashion context and i think my work always spoke about that you know it, Directly or indirectly, it was in
1: me. I mean, th- this show that we saw um, last week was so extraordinarily different from the show you that show you gave with the models' legs drowning in water and a fire raging over our heads. I mean, a picture of it, and a f- film of it. Yeah. And um, that was just before the terrible fires in um, California. It was just before the worldwide pandemic. It it looked somehow as though you knew what was going to happen.
0: Yeah, I didn't, of of course I didn't know, but there was a feeling of something. There was something in the energy, you know, uh, while we're working on the collection. Of course, nobody could imagine that this horrible pandemic would hit the whole world, etc. But there was this drama that was going into something like basically jumping off the cliff kind of, um, you know, feeling. Which actually, like two days later, it was clear that we were, you know, going into this uh, situation that we're still in. Uh, trying to survive, but for me, that's why I'm saying, like, fashion has always been that kind of a mirror of the way the world makes you feel, and with couture, it was very different, maybe because, you know, I missed also, um, I missed the light of it, you know, I, I wanted this couture to be the celebration of beauty, a celebration of amazing craft, of what fashion really represents for me, it's like the, the fundamentals of, of this job uh, and couture actually gave, gave me the possibility to rediscover that and to really say this is why I love doing that and I, you know, I, and I, I keep doing that because of that. And so this lightness of it and that, that kind of my, my vision of beauty that I try to express through couture was also very much the reflection of the moment, you know, for me. I didn't feel like going into the dark place at all. Maybe because we've been in the dark, we're still in the dark place since over a year now. So I wanted to look for the the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think that's what couture did. (laughs) Well, definitely to me as a designer.
1: (laughs) Um, Can we go back a moment, a long way back to your fashion beginnings as an Antwerp student in Belgium and your connection with Martin Margiela where you worked for three years. You pointed out that um, uh, Cristobal Balenciaga had picked up the cut of the verreurs. Do I pronounce it right? That sort of loose top worn by a fisherman. But I I remember uh, Margiela um, creating that as well. Do you think that somewhere deep down you've learned something very different from the Belgian designer? Something that is quite different from the Spanish effects that you're doing at the moment, but somehow that it's sunk into your mind and into the way that you design clothes.
0: I think that indirectly, whether I wanted it or not, from both of these amazing, you know, people, even without having ever met any of them, through the work, through the, through the work that they did, I've learned something very similar, actually. To me, both of them are, or were, tailors, you know? The, it, it was about clothes, it was about the body, and then the garment on it and um, this kind of approach that uh, I first learned obviously in my what I call my MA in fashion when I did a couple of years at, at Margiela back then but especially going to the archives and looking at the work of Cristóbal Balenciaga which is much older you know in terms of like in terms of fashion history when he did those things and the relevance of those cuts the relevance and I would say the masterclass of his way of making making patterns, two seams and two darts, were enough to make that wedding dress that we showed, which was basically a replica of his of his dress. We didn't really, we, I didn't manage to find a way of making it different because the way he did it over half a century ago is still the most minimal and the most modern way of making constructing a dress. So, I, what I learned from 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 all of this was really. Uh, The garment was the piece of clothing and love for that really because I think both of those people They really loved what they did and they and you they put all this Research and knowledge into the work that actually is very You know, it's very formative to have been able to to see these pieces and to learn from that I really learned through looking at clothes in both cases
1: you back for a moment even further i remember um quite early in your careers when i remember talking to you and guram your brother about your difficult war-filled childhood in the ussr in georgia and how your family was forced to flee to uh, germany i think dusseldorf wasn't it
0: exactly yes
1: i've seen vetement shows of yours that look quite war-torn and and angry angry but now you're 40 Mm -hmm. years old Do you still feel the scars or is life much calmer and softer for you?
0: Well, I I don't know. I kind of, I have to say that uh, pandemic did something to me where I had time to be at home and to, you know, to have time to reconnect to myself uh, and to let that anger go. I think that the scars of struggle and the scars of war, especially kind of scars that we, you know, we carry them all our lives in a way. But I think, I'm also grateful to those cars because I realized that I am who I am today, you know, thanks to that. And it also made me the creative that I am today, I think, because I, um, I kind of learned to survive through those hardships. And um, because through, you know, during the pandemic, I really realized how grateful I am, even to those painful moments that I went through. Uh, but I no longer hang on to that pain, and somehow the wisdom hit me, you know, <laughs> during the last year of being grateful. I'm actually a very happy person today, and I, I, I'm happier than I, I have ever been. Also, from creative aspect, I really enjoy fashion like I never did before. I don't feel any constraints. Especially through couture, I realize the real creative freedom that I, you know, that I that I love so much in this, in, in this métier, and... So no, I I can tell I can answer your question, but but by, by saying I'm no longer angry, but there are scars, and I think these scars will stay there forever. But that's I love scars, you know, even physical scars. I think they're really beautiful on, on on people. They show they show their strengths, and that's how how it makes me feel too.
1: You seem pretty smart about changing pace. Um, while your brother Guaram was studying international business, I think, and European management <clears> law, and all that. Um, You moved from Margiela, and guess where? I would never have guessed that you would move to Louis Vuitton. And, I mean, wasn't it a slightly strange move for you to balance a top-rate LVMH brand with the Vêtements anti-fashion shows that you and Goran were starting? One doesn't seem to fit the other to me.
0: Well, they don't. And actually, um, when I worked at Vuitton, I I started Vêtements after that. Um, but maybe also thanks to that, you know, I wanted to go to a big company in which I could, uh, in, in which I could continue learning, and I actually was really lucky to be able to work um, like a couple of seasons with Mark uh, before he left, and then I worked a few seasons with Nikolai as well. Very, very different visionaries, and you know, um, people like giants of this industry, basically, from who I learned in in many, many ways. During the short period I did there, and I think it was a really amazing experience for me to be able to see that side of, of fashion, and to also to realize what I what I wanted to do. What I, you know, I I could keep on working as a designer uh, and designing tailoring and and whatever jeans, outerwear, whatever I was doing, uh, but I felt like I had a different mission in a way. Like I call it a mission. I mean, it sounds a bit right, but I felt a different calling in me. Like i thought if i want to be in this industry i need to do something differently in my way maybe because i i had a problem following rules all my life really and you know there were too many rules to follow um but um it was a radically different experience as well from what i learned before when i worked you know at, at Marcello, which was a very very different type of brand and you know conceptually speaking was a different uh approach uh, but at viton it was really very Very, very interesting for me to learn the quality of the product and to really learn um, the technical side of making a luxury product That that was quite exceptional.
1: I'd like to talk about a special luxury product, which is really extraordinary. It's those shoes of yours. They're not even really shoes, but they're extraordinary aggressive footwear seen as emblems of a power wardrobe. You've had such huge success with them. How do you describe them and how do you explain it?
0: Well, I think that the shoe is a very important part of a silhouette in general. You know, in fashion, the silhouette is a, one of the most important things for me. Like, um, it defines the way the world around us perceives us, the way we build the silhouette, what we wear. And, you know, in, in different, like, differently to a bag, for example, that is very much an independent accessory. You can just, you know, you can put it anywhere, it just exists. A shoe is something that is on the body but it's not a garment and it actually, the silhouette starts with the shoe on the bottom. So for me it's a very defining element in constructing a silhouette, seeing fashion as a kind of a sculpture. So when I worked on, on, a, on the first sneaker uh, at Balenciaga when I came, it was really quite a natural thing for me to do because, because I love sneakers, because that's what I wear and because it's a lot of people around me wore and, you know, I just wanted to create a new silhouette for that type of shoe that was not a classic runner or whatever we've seen on the, you know, in the sport shoe context. Um, And because I always work on volume, whatever I do, it is about shape and volume and it's very three-dimensional. It was a very experimental process and I didn't really think of it being like introducing a sneaker into the luxury product kind of vocabulary. For me, it was a very natural thing to do, you know, in, in the context of my fashion vocabulary. And I remember when I did the first sneaker, I think a lot of people raised their eyebrows within the company as well, thinking, well, you know, they didn't really see this as a potential commercially potential product, myself included. I didn't think about that at all. Um... But it has become that because that's what people relate to a lot, you know, and a lot of brands today do that. And from only working around the kind of eat situation and leather goods, which was kind of main staple of any kind of luxury brand and still is, I realized that we could add other type of products into this important vocabulary that we, you know, why not? Why, 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 Why a sneaker has to be... Uh, something that is only associated to a cheap streetwear brands or sportswear or activewear. That's what we wear. And for me, fashion is about that. It's about creating desire in the moment right now, and it just felt right to do that. I never saw it. as... For me, what was what was interesting was to create a new silhouette. and to be honest, almost every speaker I've produced ever since, or I'm still working on at the moment in two different directions. They are always about creating a new silhouette, a new volume that is that is different from what I know.
1: leave out a very important element, I think so. It, it's your belief in protecting nature. And um, certainly it's true of your um, current Balenciaga collections, isn't it, that they're very thoughtful about the fabrics and their use of them. Is this a passion for you? I mean, it's not just how you, your shoes look, but what they're made of.
0: Exactly. I mean, that's that's also, it's something that is more of a mindset, I would say, uh, than, than passion, because it just feels... Very normal, or kind of like almost obligatory, in 2021, uh, to to think about it and to put it, uh, you know, to make a milestone out of this kind of thing. Uh, environment. I mean, what fashion we all know. Everybody talks about sustainability nonstop all the time. But I felt like how can I really apply this in my way of building collections? And, you know, we, we use a lot of recycling, we use a lot of dead stock in, in ready-to-wear, so we do that, but then I also came to the point where I needed to work on almost full textile um, sustainability, and I asked my, uh, you know, fabric teams not to show me any longer fabrics that would not be um, sustainable, that would not, you know, that would go against the um the modern values of any brand, especially luxury brands, because we can afford the sustainability we are the ones who can afford it, and I think it has to start from from people like myself. I should not even choose the non sustainable fabric i 'm only talking about on fabric level now, but there are so many levels of you know taking care of that which which we 're trying to explore, but you have to start somewhere, and i 'm really proud of of the work we did with um, with textile sustainability in the last couple
1: of years. Yes, you should be proud. And I, I also think that um, François-Henri Pinot picked you for um, Balenciaga it was quite early, wasn't it, to 2015, I think. And um, mm. six years on, you, you've moved so, so many things or you've gone parallel to so many of his own thoughts for caring and particularly for thinking about protecting the planet. I mean, it, it sounds cliché, but it is so important. And you have really gone to it, you've gone forward. And uh, I think that's very important and to be very much commended, as they say.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, even before I started at Balintiaga, it was very clear for me. I mean, it was in me, but then when I came, I saw that this was the mindset of the group. This is what, you know, there was, it was on the top priority. And it actually made the whole thing easier for me because since it's the priority already, you know, I had, I have always any kind of, um, how to say, it's a carte blanche in doing research on how to substitute glue, for example. But we have so many ways of um, deepening our research on this thanks to the fact that it's part of the mindset. And I think that's quite amazing. And I had, you know, I was lucky to to come to this company where this is part of, it's kind of like a religious part of the way we are, you know, in Balenciaga.
1: Did you ever envisage this move in your fashion life, your own fashion life, into Haute Couture? Could you have dreamed of such a thing even five years ago? Even three years ago? How do you imagine your move to the highest of high fashion? Is it going to be the top of everything that you're doing now—the one thing that is the sort of master of it all—or is it something that's just going to be part of what you're doing? There are a lot of other collections that you have to do, and a lot of other products.
0: You know, I never envisaged that actually. Even three years ago, I didn't. I would not. Um, I would not dare to think about. Uh, working on couture. Uh, I wouldn't have envisaged this 10, 15 years ago when I was a fashion student or when I was starting. I wouldn't have envisaged talking to you about it, Susie. (laughs) You know what I mean? There are so many things I wouldn't have envisaged because uh, it all felt like an unattainable dream. Uh, Fashion to me has always been that. I've dreamt about it since I was a small boy. I don't remember dreaming about other things. I didn't even know it was a job. I didn't know it was a profession. I just wanted to do... You know, clothes, and I wanted to use them for making sculptures on human bodies. That was, and you know, doing couture is kind of a, I would say, like, a pinnacle of 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 this profession. But for me, it feels really pretty much like the very beginning of it. I don't know. It opens a very new dimension for me in um, in doing what I do. I cannot say that couture is the only thing I want to do. It's true that. You know, I have a luxury of having time doing couture. I have one year to make one collection, which is absolutely unbelievable in today's rhythm. Uh, I also have a luxury of not thinking about creating products with certain entry prices or, you know, thinking about... Because I do also think a lot about product and, you know, how much it's going to cost and who's going to buy it in ready-to-wear context. With couture, there is a full freedom. And uh, that freedom is very important for a creative like myself, I guess, to evolve. Uh, I think it will infuse all my all the rest of my work, definitely because I see it as the top of the kind of pyramid of my vision for Balenciaga. You know, there are all these different layers. There is a streetwear on the bottom. There is there is fashion part which is a bit more conceptual, constructed or deconstructed above that streetwear. I'm working on a classic line at the moment, which is more of a wardrobe or almost you could call it a business wear in my context, in my you know in my aesthetic context. And then there is a top of that pyramid of division, which is couture, that I feel, and I I, I can't wait for it, I already feel that being infused into all the rest.
1: I think the top of your couture was those Philip Tracy hats going up there. (laughs) They looked so modern, and at the same time, it looked as though they could have been with the original Balenciaga. That was a really strong touch, I thought.
0: I love doing that because, you know, again, through couture I discovered something I never worked on. I mean, I never did anything else than a baseball cap in my, in my life. I never designed it. So, made, working on millinery and especially with somebody like like uh, Philly Tracy, that was really the couture opportunity, you know. And I, I realized it early on in the collection that, you know, every silhouette almost from the Cristobal Balenciaga's period. Um, when I when I looked at those videos and pictures, it was always quite an extravagant hat to it. You know, they. I mean, of course, it was back then. It was common to 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 wear hats like that, but he was. It, they were quite extreme in terms of shape and in terms of like how they looked. So I felt it was really the moment for me to discover this. I mean, it's a very useless piece of accessory. Nobody really wears hats today. I mean, this one. Could be useful because it does protect you from sun or rain or anything. But I just I wanted to create this almost useless but very aesthetic uh, piece of you know accessory that um, that instantly gave it the couture allure in a way. You know it created a silhouette and it was very true to the heritage of Cristobal's work to 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 make a hat. So I really enjoyed doing that and. I hope that passion for a will evolve as well <laughs> in the next collection.
1: Demna, it's fascinating to talk to you. It was even more fascinating seeing the show and we can't wait until the next one comes around. And thank you for talking to me.
0: Thank you so much, Susie. That's a dream come true talking to you about you are. Thank you so much.
1: I was so fascinated to feel the calm and carefully thought out collection made by Demner for his first Balenciaga Couture. He seems to have found his calling after struggles both personal and within the fashion world. At the age of 40, the designer has transformed from a disturbing and ever-changing childhood into the calm of creativity. The idea of bringing back to life the old couture of a historic brand has been proved daring but smart i'd like to wish you all a lovely and safe summer ahead and we will be back in september with a great new series to enjoy creative conversations with Susie menkes is produced by natasha khan music by york zuber graphics by paul wallace and edited by tim thornton to find my articles, visit suzymenkis.com and suzymenkis on Instagram. If you enjoyed the podcast, then please do rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. You can find me on all the usual channels.